Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Jesus to God, they saw him and they turned the light and they looked and then it was like, look, not only so look at this everyone's bands were loose all of the prisoners were set free so when you let your light shine and you turn the light on not only will it result in your deliverance but it will result in deliverance of people all around you but we got to be the ones to turn the light on real quick let me do this demonstration and then and and then i'll be done look look at this you see this flashlight all right, it's not really having much of an impact because these lights are on. It's not really dark. But watch what happened when I turn the lights off. Look at this. It ain't gonna have as much impact because the doors are open, but watch this. You see how it's getting more noticeable? It's a lot more noticeable now, right? Because it's darker and the light is on. Amen. So look at this. So as it gets darker and darker in the world, People ought to notice you. You ought to become more noticeable to the world. Amen? Let your light shine. Turn the light on, everybody. I'm finished. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. I am excited about the opportunity. Tap your neighbor. Say, neighbor, turn your light on. Amen. Turn to another neighbor. Say, neighbor, my light will get brighter and brighter. Amen. Well, my portion uh, for right now is to go once again. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. This is a very familiar passage of scripture because we've been learning about the fruit of the... Say it a little bit louder. The fruit of the... Well, today we're looking at the third fruit of the Spirit, which is... Somebody tell me out loud. What's the third fruit of the Spirit? Say it again. Peace. The third fruit of the Spirit is peace. So tap your neighbor. Say, neighbor, we're about to learn about peace. Find one more neighbor. Say, hey, neighbor, we're learning about peace. All right. We're going to look first at Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. I'll say that again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Let me get there. I'm going to read from the King James and also from the New Living Translation. And when you look at the peace of God, there are several different ways and aspects that you can look at it. One, when you talk about the peace of God, the peace, you can look at it in terms of how you operate in your character. So the way that you have relationships with other peace people, the word tells us to live in, live in peace with all men. So it refers to how we communicate or how we relate to one another. It refers to our conversation, the words that you speak, speaking words of peace. It refers to the thoughts that you think. So not only is it supposed to uh, cover and influence your behavior, it influences your behavior, your relationships, your thoughts, your words. So the peace of God is not just... Um, 
It's not just being nice, being warm, being fuzzy. It's not just a comfortable or soft place to be, but it encompasses your whole being. So here in Philippians chapter 4, um, I'm, we're going to read in, at verse 7, but before you get to verse 7, you have to focus on what it says in verse 6. And so let's read verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Everybody say, don't worry. Say it again. Don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So here in verse 7, it says, then you will experience. What is the then? After you get rid of the worry, after you get rid of the fear, after you get rid of the anxiety. So you, everybody say, get rid of the worry. It's almost like taking the trash out. Trash day is Friday at my house. And usually there's a ton of trash from all through. We have, I don't even know how many trash cans we have. But when my husband goes through and collects the trash from all the different trash cans, he has to take it and take it out to the trash bin. So it's literally he's getting rid of the trash. You have to make a decision to change your thoughts from thoughts of worry to thoughts of the word. Worry and, and evil thoughts will always come, but you have a decision to make. You have to get rid of those thoughts. Then it says, get rid of the worry, and instead, pray about it. Tell God what you need. He already knows, but he needs to hear it from you. And then thank him for what he has done. He's already given you the victory. You're thanking him in advance. And then it says in verse 7, then the peace, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I want to show you an example of that. I have this little container here, and this little container represents your understanding or your thoughts, the thoughts that you think. Now, the thoughts that you think kind of keep you bound in a little container, a little box. You ever heard the phrase, think outside the box? Let me show you where it comes from. So I'll put this right here. This refers to your thoughts. You see how small that looks in comparison to this, the area of this stage? What about the area of this room? What about the area and the square footage of this building? So when God is talking about your thoughts, he's like, listen, you take your thoughts, but I want you to know that my thoughts, God speaking, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My peace goes beyond anything you could understand. Your understanding is that small. My understanding is this big. And so when you understand that you're sitting here worried about things that your little pea brain size mind can't contain, but God is like, get rid of what's in here and focus on all that I have out here for you. God has peace. It, it, it tells us in Colossians, let's go to Colossians chapter 15. And as you're turning there, 
I'm going to continue reading in Philippians 4, 7. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 should be a familiar passage of scripture. And it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So we hear that the peace of God from Philippians, the peace of God will guard. Then we hear it will guard and keep. Then here in Colossians, it says, let the peace of God rule. I have an example of that as well. How many guys ever seen an umpire or a referee? What does a referee do? Give me one moment. The referee is the one who calls the shots or calls the plays in the game. They let you know what's safe and what's out. So when you're trying to understand the peace of God, God wants you to know, hey, I'm in a position in your life as your referee, as your coach, as your umpire. I want you to know what's safe and what's out. When fearful thoughts come your way, God is there to say, hey, stop. That's not of me. Then he has you over here. He says, this is a safe place. I want you over here. Go. So when you understand the peace of God, I want you to think about the referee. God, are you telling me this is the safe place to go? Or are you telling me this is where I need to stop? Another thing I want you to see is how Jesus operated in that peace. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, and I don't have a lot of time to turn there, so I'm just going to give you a demonstration. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was talking to his disciples, or actually he was preaching, and he, there were so many people while he was on the shore preaching to them that he had to get into a little boat, and he taught them from the boat. And later that evening, now this, this chapter in particular, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus began to talk to the people in parables. He talked about the parable of the sower. He talked about the parable of the mustard seed. So Jesus had been preaching to them all day, filling them with the word. And then in the evening, when it was nighttime, he and his disciples got into the boat. And what did Jesus tell them to do? He told them, all right, let's actually, let's go there. We got we to gotta go there quickly. Matthew chapter 4, we're looking at verse 35. Hold on one second. Matthew chapter 4, or excuse me, Mark. I'm saying the wrong book. Mark chapter 4, looking at verse 35. Got to pour my water in here because this is the lake of probably Genesaret. Forgive me for not being exact scripturally. It says, Matthew, or Mark chapter 4, and the same day when the even or when the night was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. What did Jesus say? Jesus gave them instructions on what would happen. We're going to pass over to the other side. So they're in the boat, they get in the water, or they're in the boat, in the water, and Jesus tells them, we're going to the other side. What does Jesus do? And when he, when he had sent the, sent the multitude away, actually drop down to verse 30, or when he had sent the multitude away, they took him even as he, as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and, and waves beat into the ship. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. He'd been preaching all day. Jesus is a man like me. After he preached all day, what did he do? He went, the word tells us he went to the rear part of the ship, and he took a nap. 
Man, I love naps. So here it is. They're in the boat. He preached all day. He's in the back taking a nap. While they're here on the lake, what happens? A great storm comes. The winds start to blow. The water is crashing. The, it, the word tells us a great storm. So that means this wasn't just a few little raindrops. This wasn't just a little bit of wind. There, it was almost like torrential rain and huge waves coming. So now they're in a perilous situation. And what is the first thing that the disciples tell him? They're like, hey, look at verse 30. Um, it says verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the sleep, ship, asleep on a pillow. He wasn't just asleep. Jesus had a pillow. That's, that's my man right there. And they awake him and said, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? What did Jesus do? In the midst of this wind, in the midst of these waves, in the midst of these storms, Jesus got up and said one word, peace. When he spoke peace, the wind stopped, the waves calmed, and they went about their journey. Jesus had already spoken the destination. He had already told them where they were going. He his commands when he spoke the word was the guarantee of victory. God doesn't need to keep reminding us again and again. He's already said it in his word. When you have your heart and mind focused on the word, it keeps you. It guards you. It protects you in peace so that when that situation seems to get worse, you speak peace. You speak the power of the word of God and that word of God goes into that situation and makes it calm down. That's the peace we are to operate in. It guards your heart. It guards your mind. It acts as umpire. It call, it, in other words, it leads you in the way you should go. It controls your mouth, controls your attitude, controls your relationships. There is so much that we can look at when we learn about the peace of God. But remember Philippians, get rid of the fear, get rid of the worry, cast your cares on him, pray to him, and allow that peace to cover you. Amen? Thank you. Once again, she she puts so much pressure on me. Oh, amazing job, amazing job, and also happy happy early birthday to you. Um, Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. I have the pleasure of speaking about what's called the gifts of grace, and we're also on the third one as well. Romans chapter twelve. For those of y'all have not met, my, my name is. Minister Reggie, I'm the youth pastor here, and let's just share a few minutes with you. Romans chapter 12, our anchor verses um, 6, 7, and 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Um, we're going to drop down to verse 7. If you are a teacher, teach well. What we have been blessed with this morning is honestly good teaching. Uh, this particular teaching is honestly exactly our 
definition of teaching. This is someone who imparts knowledge, imparts wisdom, someone who is able to share and to help you to actually learn. That is the actual Greek text. Now, what's interesting to me is that this type of learning isn't solely based on just me telling you stuff, but it's based on a relationship. The relationship is between the teacher, the master, the, the, the instructor or the person and the pupils in which they serve. This is somebody, they, they, are coming a, they, they, they are coming beside their pupils to ensure that they get it. And as a person that's in education, I almost like, I sat back, I was like, wow. It's incredible because a bunch of times, once we think about our favorite teachers, we think about not so much what they taught in our head, but how they touch our actual hearts. And it's interesting because this is the model that the Bible actually chooses. It's, it is not that person that say, okay, sit down, shut up, A plus B equals C, whatever. It's that person, they move past the outside, and they touch their heart, and they reach and showed you the potential that a person didn't even know they actually had. And this is the actual word that God uses for actual teachers. Crazy part about it is that we're all teachers in a certain way. We all may not ever get the grace to stage in an actual church service, but how many of us are actual parents? How many of us want to actually be parents? Maybe in the future one day. I got you. I, I, <laughs> I, I got you. She was so funny. She was like, I'm not a parent. Okay. <laughs> got you. But then look, you are your child's first teacher. And it is not solely because we are the grown-ups and they're the child, but because of that relationship. And so like, I'm gonna be extremely short because I'm not gonna lie, I am anticipating my wife calling me, telling me to take her to the hospital. I hope not. We're having our third child very soon, so. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm gonna cut this really, really short, but I do wanna say, are there any teachers in this room? Any teachers? Would you please stand? No, really, would you please stand? Would you please stand? Teachers, would you please stand? Would you please stand? The teachers. All right. No, 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 stay, 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 stay standing. And what I wanna do, uh, we are entering into probably the most uncertain year in the history of mankind. So I wanna pray with and for you all. So if you would, please just stretch your hands toward them with me. Father God, right now, we just thank you for the high calling in which these brothers and sisters have accepted, dear God. The opportunity, dear God, to stand before men and women, boys and girls, to just share your wisdom, guidance, and knowledge. We pray extra protection upon them, dear God. No weapon form against them shall prosper. No weapon form against them, their family, dear God, even their school, because they are there shall prosper, Father God. We, we are speaking life into them, dear God, speaking boldness, speaking confidence, speaking your peace, which surpasses all understanding upon them, dear God, and that this shall be the best year yet because of the light of God which shines through them, dear God. We, we speak, we pray, dear God, over all that's associated with them, dear God, the, the admin, the district, the, the college, whoever, dear God, because these men and women are there, we thank you, dear God, that you are already covering, you are already setting things straight in accordance to your word. So we just thank you for special insight, understanding, wisdom, be granted unto them, be spoken unto them, and dear God, more, more, just the more, the more, the more, more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for that. And I'll pass over to Mr. Isom. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give the all three of our previous ministers a great shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you thankful to God for the gifts he's given unto us? Amen. We serve a good God. Praise his holy name. Well, my assignment today is to speak on the importance of praying in the spirit and how it helps you to flow in the Holy Ghost. One of my favorite topics. So turn with me to Luke, the 24th chapter. You know, uh, Minister Reggie gave a good lead into what I'm going to speak about because I am a parent. And even though my children, our children, I should say, I didn't have them by myself, hallelujah. But even though our children are in their 30s, they are still our children. And at the time when they were about to both go out on their own leaving home, as parents, you think about all the things that you have tried to teach them, train them, instruct them in, and lead them in. And before they actually left our house, we tried to recap just to ensure that they got everything that we have been teaching. Amen? Why? Because we love them and we want to see them very successful. So in those talks that we had, we want to make sure that we didn't waste any words because we want them to get what was most important. So as we see Jesus here, Speaking in Luke, the 24th chapter and the 49th verse, he's giving precious instruction into his disciples. Now, these disciples had been trained, they had been taught, they had been instructed, they had been following him for more than three years, they had seen him execute the grace and power of God as he ministered unto people. They saw him, heard him teach the word of God. They saw him demonstrate everything that he wanted them to do. But he said, yet there's one thing you need before you go out and minister. So Luke 24, 49, he said, and behold, I send a promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Even though they had all the teaching, all the instruction, all the training, they could not execute the task until they had the power. Somebody say amen. So even though you can have the best car in the world, I don't care what kind of vehicle you have, if you don't have fuel to power that vehicle, it's going nowhere. The Holy Ghost is the power that fuels our Christian life. And you need the Holy Ghost to live in these days. You need the Holy Ghost just to be a Christian. You need the Holy Ghost to go to the store. You need the Holy Ghost in your house. You need the Holy Ghost in everything that you do. We need the Holy Ghost in these days. Somebody say amen. So Jesus was saying, before you do anything, you need this promise. And that's the first chapter and the fourth verse. Now, this is Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's now teaching them once he has raised from the dead. Jesus was on this earth after he was raised from the dead. Forty days showing himself and teaching 
the disciples. So here he's instructing them again in Acts 1, 4 through 5, and it reads, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise again, the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Amen. Now, here at Faith Christian Center, everyone who's a member here, I'm sure if you have been present when we do baptisms here, you have seen Pastor Kirk stand here, amen, and I'll be in the pool with the baptismal candidate. And so, he will speak words over that individual, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, and in the name of Jesus, I baptize you. So even though I am the one who actually is assisting them to get in the water and out of the water, the baptismal process is initiated by what? His word. So who's doing the baptism? Actually, pastor. Now, I am the physical person who is assisting them, but the baptism is actually initiated by what? His word. Amen? So, go to um, Matthew, the third chapter, and I'm going to um, show you how this is so important. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 11. So, we see here John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who operated in the spirit of Elijah, the one who was Jesus' cousin, the one who prophesied of his coming, speaking about baptism in the Holy Ghost. Uh, Matthew, the third chapter and 11 verses says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall what? Baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with what? fire. Hallelujah. You can't be the light unless you got some fire. Somebody say amen. If you want your light to shine like a one, uh, like a one candle, then don't pray. But if you want some, some uh, blinding light to come from your presence, you spend some time in prayer and God will increase your lumens so that it will shine bright for the world to see. Somebody say amen. So even as when pastor stands here and says words so that an individual can be baptized, if I or someone else who knows how to lead someone in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as I sit there with them and give them words of the, of the, give them the words from the word of God concerning being baptized in the Holy Ghost, building their faith by what we are saying from the word of God, and they hear it and they receive it, and I tell them, now speak. Actually, Jesus is in heaven initiating that baptism in the Holy Ghost. It's not something that's earthly. It's something that's supernatural. Your Lord and Savior is actually baptizing you in the Holy Ghost. So, therefore, we should take this speaking in tongues. We should take this baptism in the Holy Ghost as something serious, something precious, something that's going to give us the ability to live in these last days because it is paramount to our victory. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, there are some results of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking with other tongues. In Mark, the 16th chapter, you go to the 17th and the 18th verses, and it says there, now, when I saw this, you know, I grew up in the church. That don't mean I read all the Bible. 
In fact, if you could, if you consider how much of it that I had read by the time I was in my 20s or 30s, it would be so small, I wouldn't even call it significant. Because there was stuff in the Bible when I read it, I said, oh my goodness, that's in there? I remember the time when I heard that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And that scripture set me free. You mean I don't have to be fearful? I don't have to be afraid? You mean I am an eternal being that even though you can kill this body, you can't kill me because I'm inside of this flesh and I will live forever with Jesus Christ. Therefore, I don't need to fear a man because I shall be forever with my God. But getting back to Mark 16, 17, hallelujah. And it's written in red, so we know that Jesus is speaking, and it says there, and these signs shall follow them that believe. What in my name shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and what? They shall recover. You know when you got the light of the Holy Ghost shining bright in your life, you should have an expectation of supernatural signs, wonders, and demonstrations of the Spirit manifesting in your life. So even as as Minister Kurt said, you should let that light shine bright. That light has not been put on a bushel, but it's set upon a hill for the world to see. The world should see Jesus in your life. Somebody say amen. But how do you get this light activated? How do you get this gift activated? You get it by praying in the Holy Ghost. All of us at the time of salvation have the Holy Ghost shed abroad in our hearts as a seed. So just as you take a small seed, and you plant it in the ground, that seed has to be nurtured, that seed has to be watered, that seed has to be exposed to sunlight, and it grows, and then it produces. So that seed of the Holy Ghost that's inside of you, unless you spend time in fellowship with the Word and with prayer, praying in the Spirit, that actually activates and causes a dynamo effect to happen in you. Actually, when you're praying out, you're actually energizing your spirit. The more time you pray, the more energy you get. Somebody say amen. So we see here in 1 Corinthians, uh, the 14th chapter and the 18th verse, we see Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He's actually, and pastor has told us about the church of Corinth, that the church of Corinth, today the church of Corinth will be like Bourbon Street in Louisiana. It would be like uh, uh, Las Vegas. It would be like Amsterdam. Everything that co could go bad was going on in uh, Corinth. You know, it's bad when the uh, preacher has the right to your church and say, y'all got some sin going on that the world ain't even got. You got a man in there that's living with his father's wife. You know, there's a lot of things that I did when I was not living for God, but I never would have came after my daddy with a woman. I mean, that's some special kind of messed up. Hallelujah. I ain't got to go that, well, anyway. Hallelujah. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God that I speak in tongues, what? More than ye all. This church of Corinth, even though they were babes in Christ, and even though they were living all kind of messed up, they had every spiritual gift actually activated in that church. They saw miracle signs and wonders, but they were a hot mess. So he came and then gave them correction about how to function properly in the spirit 
and in the church. But the point is, Paul said, I pray in tongues more than ye all. And what is the result of his praying? Well, we see miracles, signs, and wonders operated by the hand of Paul. Why? Because of him praying in the Spirit. In Acts the 14th chapter and the 8th verse it reads, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. So how did this miracle happen in the ministry of Paul? It happened because he spent more time praying in the Holy Ghost than them all. The power of God was manifested in his life because of prayer. So if we look back at these verses, go to that, ninth, that 14 chapter 9 verse it says, speaking of this crippled man, the same heard Paul speak. So what happened there? Faith coming by what? And hearing by what? So the man heard the word of God preached. Faith rose up in his heart. And then the Holy Ghost, because of Paul's spiritual sensitivity, he heard the Holy Ghost prompt him that this man had faith to be healed. And then Paul acted upon that prompting. He reached down, pulled the man up, and the man leaped and walked. Why? Because he spent time praying in the Holy Ghost. The man did not have to go to rehab. He did not need any physical therapy. He did, not, he did not have to go through a healing process. He had an instantaneous manifestation of the power and healing power of God because of prayer. Amen. Again, in Acts the 19, chapter 11, verse, it reads, And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Special miracles. Why? Because a man prayed in the Spirit. He prayed in the Holy Ghost. Now, some people will say, well, we don't see this in the life of the Old Testament apostles. Does the Old Testament the Old Testament prophets and apostles, was there anything in the Word of God that let us know that this is going to happen in the New Testament? Well, yes, there is. I'm glad you asked. In Isaiah, the 28th chapter and 11 verse, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will I what? Speak to this people. You know, in many of our experiences, we have seen the manifestation of the gift of tongues and interpretations of tongues. And God has spoken to us. Has that prophecy come to pass? Amen. Glory to God. So speaking in tongues is also proof or evidence of someone having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the people heard about the Holy Ghost. He was prophesied to them by Jesus. He's the promise. So on that day of Pentecost, when they heard the sound as of a rushing mighty wind in the field of the house where they were sitting, the tongues of fire came upon their head. And because they were in faith, 
when they began to speak, the Holy Ghost gave them the utterance, and out of their mouth came that heavenly language. And today, if you're not filled, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking with other tongues, all you have to do is believe and ask. God will fill you, and the Holy Ghost will give you the utterance, and you will speak. It's a supernatural gift. It's supernatural, meaning that you are going to have to participate in the activation of it. So many times, and as we have uh, ministered under people and seen them filled with the Holy Ghost, every now and then there will be an individual that we will see the Spirit of God come upon them as we lead them in getting filled. And you know what? The Holy Ghost will come on them so strong that we can see them even moving or weaving or they will even sometimes weep because of the presence of God. But you know, they won't manifest that gift until they open their mouth and they begin to speak. I remember one young lady my wife and I were ministering to she wanted this been some years ago so none of you know her so don't try to think about well who y'all know no y'all don't know her but anyway we're ministering to her to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking with other tongues and we saw the spirit of God come on her and you know what she didn't speak and you know why she didn't tell us but she told her sister she said I felt the power come on me and I got scared and something was trying to come out of my mouth and I had to hold it back. And you know why she said that? She said, I knew it was God, but I like sinning too much. You know what? <laughs> there ain't no sin that I want to do that will separate me from the power and presence of my God. Hallelujah. There ain't nothing in this earth that was worth me not being in his presence and not experience his power. You know, the word tells me that in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, God is the one who invented pleasure. God can give you more pleasure than anything, any person, any place, any event, or anything that you could possibly experience in this earth. Somebody say amen. All right, let me go ahead and finish this up. Further proof that speaking in tongues is a proof or evidence of you receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, the reason I did two of these scriptures here is because I want you to have, without a doubt, the knowledge that if you're not speaking, you don't have the proof. Some people actually believe, well, since I'm saved and I ask to be filled, that I'm full. No, you're not filled until you start speaking. A fire is not lit until you strike the match. You can have a box full of matches and then it's not going to do anything until you strike one. You strike this spiritual match by speaking. Acts chapter 10 verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Also praying in the Holy Ghost builds you up spiritually. Jude 1 20. 
but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Also, praying in the Holy Ghost keeps you in the love of God. Jude one twenty one. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Also, uh, praying in the Holy Spirit allows you to pray for things that you don't know how to pray for as you ought to pray. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, it says, itself in the King James, but we know that God is not an it. God is a him. Holy Ghost is a him. So we just put a, put a, a mark through that and write in our paper Bibles, him and not itself. Make of intercession for us with groanings which cannot be other. Praying in the Holy Ghost is also speaking to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For he did speak it in an unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, I would be remiss if I did not go through the scripture also that tells you how to receive. So in Luke, the 11th chapter, the 9th through the 13th verses, it reads thus. For I say unto you, and it's written in red, so we know that Jesus is speaking. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Verse 13. If ye then been evil, or carnal, or natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that do what? Ask him. All you have to do is ask. He will freely give. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.